Hi everyone, welcome to the Man Patriot Podcast. My name is Dumo Denga. And as always, I have Nzuzo Kati, the co-host with me. What's up, Nzuzo? What's up? What's up, Duo? Uh, I'm good, man. I'm good. Another week. Another weekend in lockdown. Fucking hell. Yesterday was supposed to be the day where we go back to work, where we go back to our exactly. lives. But these fuckers decided, no, let's, uh, let's punish these people more. But uh, I'm glad to be on the podcast just talking anything and everything about South Africa and, and the whole world. And I'm happy to be joined by everyone else. You know, we've got Mbiake in the building. We've got Koketo, a resident tech guy, and we've got a guest today. Let's let's introduce the guest first. Uh, yes. Our bro, Cindy Baza. How are you doing, Cindy? I'm good. I'm good. Being a non-essential worker, my man. That's my title, man. <laughs> non-essential <laughs> worker. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're a peasant. Good. In the eyes of the government, you're a peasant. You know, you know. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm not starving. I've got three fridges behind me. My mom got I, it. Dude, I was just about <laughs> to say, like, this guy. Nobody hungry out here. My mom balling now. I'm telling you, she's better than I do. She got two mates. <laughs> Yeah, listen to shit falling. You're in a different, you're in a different stratosphere to everyone else. Yeah, bro, I need to visit you, man. man. Swan, go home. Swan, go home. Yeah. Yeah. And as always, we've got MPK Jamin in the building. How you doing? everyone. Like, um, I'm looking forward to this one. Like, you know, this man has been completely wrong on every sports thing that he has ever commented on. But he's been right on the politics and the economics, so it should be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we also got Koketo, resident tech guy. How you do, Koketo? Uh, I'm alive. Eh? I'm actually uh, sipping my. Uh, well, I think I believe this is uh, one of the essentials that is allowed. So this is my essential beverage. <laughs> yeah, but otherwise I'm well. Uh, in Koketo house, it's, it's essential. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so let's just talk about the let's get to the disrespect first about um this chat that uh, Cindy Lo was having on Facebook in which she said that um uh, essentially shitting on Messi without shitting on Messi. Can you please elaborate on that, Cindy, or what you said? Okay, I'm happy to. All I was trying to point out to certain people was that y'all's goat doesn't show up in the big time as much as he should. If you are the greatest player ever, you cannot let a, what's it, a 3-0 lead go in a Champions League, what is it, semi-final against Liverpool. You can't let a 3-0 lead against Roma go. You can't be losing World Cup finals. You can't. If you're the greatest player ever, you need to show up in a crunch time. And all I was trying to point out was, because some people say Messi is greater in the pantheon than Cristiano Ronaldo. The one thing I accede to Messi fans is that Ronaldo and Messi, two greatest players ever. I don't want to debate nobody about that. You start telling me about old people that play against plumbers in the 80s, in the 60s. We got nothing to say to each other. People like that don't get invited out to the bar 
Aoui like a tavern. No, yeah. we don't invite people like yeah. that. But Ronaldo Messi, that's the debate I'm having. Because I respect Messi enough to say he's the second greatest of all time. Oh. Amen and when I, so when I say mm -hmm. that, I'm saying that in the big time, when there's adversity, because for me, there's talent, which Messi is clearly more talented than Ronaldo. But when greatness, greatness is measured in your ability to come through, especially in adversity. And Ronaldo comes through when there's adversity. I'm a, I'm, Real Madrid's my other team. Real Madrid was stone cold cock for the longest time. The only reason they won those Champions League was because Ronaldo would drag this team kicking and screaming to titles. And what I pointed out about Messi was that Messi has not won without that Barcelona-Spain call. Xavi yeah. and Iniesta and David Villa and Pique won two European championships and a World but, Cup but, without but Messi. Don't you, don't you think, okay, as much as much as that Real Madrid team was not, you mm. know, the best, but they were mm. still world-class. Like, and then Messi yeah. had to deal with... Ar Argentina wasn't world-class, let's be honest. Like, Argentina <laughs> had some players... <laughs> No, oh, it had some great players. Oh, oh. It had some great players. No, no, it's not some big players. It's actually quite a lot. Uh, Argentina's an anomaly. I mean, you look at that team. There's Messi, there's Higuain, there's Di Maria. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, it, it, yeah. Most, most all the way, the all the way to the center yeah, forward. The they, they have good, oh, no. good midfielders. Good strikers. They don't have good defenders. Like, One at a time, guys. Good defense. What's okay, let me put for? an What's argument back to that. Let me put an argument back to that. Who's good at Portugal's team? Because Portugal have won a championship. They've won a European <laughs> championship. They won the yeah. Bad Nations Cup. They don't have good... Okay, they've got Bernardo Silva. Who else they got? Renato Sanchez has failed now. He was a good young player. They've got João Moutinho. The man plays for a top eight team. He plays for Wolves. Wolves are a good football team. But they're not a world Jean class. Felix. Yeah. Jean Jean Felix was there, though. He wasn't yeah, there, though. What's that guy? Rupert Tishio. Rupert Tishio. What's that guy? That guy is... Pepe. Pepe. Pepe's so good. Pepe's so good. Pepe's so good. This is a tragic this point here is that they, they, there's no absolute world-class players there, and yet they can still pull off trophies. But but yeah. but but Argentina has been in how many finals now? I think they've gone into most like the second most semi-finals after Germany. So they they haven't been doing badly. But they don't win. You gotta get the chip. That's the it important is, yeah. thing. Okay, in basketball, you also, in basketball also you talk people about, knock LeBron yeah. when he doesn't yeah. win. Messi must get knocked okay, That's, that's why LeBron's basketball. second best. That's basketball. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Tell us how. Let me think about like this. If we have five players, if we have five players, it's mostly like it's easier to depend on one player. Look at the look at the Cavs. They were able to get to the playoffs, the playoff finals with just LeBron, and then the rest of the team are shitty. Maybe you can talk about that guy. What's that guy's name again? Uh, Smith, J.R. Smith, and Kevin Love. But they didn't have Kyrie. But they still got oh, to the to the finals. Yeah. That's a different mm. that's a different sport totally. But in football, you talk about when you talk about um, what is this coming up uh, coming out clutch? Messi mm. Messi is the reason why Ronaldo was kicked out of the, the Champions League. 
in uh, in 2011 when you went through the whole defense. Remember that the semi final. Remember that. Uh, who, who did he have in that team? Let's ask who he had in that team. No, but he came out clutch. He's the one who won the game. Literally, yes, he went he through the whole the play, game. the whole defense. Yes, I agree. I never said he's never he done is. great things. He's the second greatest player ever. But my oh. argument is he did that thing when he had Xavi and Iniesta. Even me, I can score when I have Xavi and Iniesta. How? What do you mean? Did you see the goal so, that he scored? See the goal that he scored. a good goal because he's the second greatest what? player ever. But what okay, I'm so to I'm going to agree with Cindy here. Um, no, so, you're right. Him being the second best in the world still puts him in the 1% of the 1%. Yeah. Second greatest ever, not just in the world, ever. We're talking yeah. about the but two looking like this. Okay. Mm. But looking like looking like this. At 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 clutch moments, they were both they both mm. come up, they've both come out short. Ronaldo was also kicked out in 2012 by a Munich semi-final. He didn't make sure. it. Ronaldo was also um Ronaldo didn't make it in that in the 2013. I think it was the 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 year after Ancelotti won the Champions League. They didn't make mm. it to the final. Ronaldo did not come clutch there. These are mm. they both both of them don't come clutch. Ronaldo didn't come out clutch in the Barcelona Man United final in 2009. They lost in that final. Messi who did he have? Messi came out though? clutch. Why who did Ronaldo he... have? Who did Ronaldo have? Who did Ronaldo... Do you remember that Man United okay. team? Can you know, I make an argument? They had scores. They had that scores. They had Ferdinand. They had Vidic. They had uh, Evra. They had Fandasar. Xavi Iniesta. Oh, exactly. Xavi Iniesta. Scores. Scores. The greatest Arsenal player ever, Thierry Henry. You're telling me Samuel Eto'o, the greatest African striker there's ever been, better than George Ware, by the way, better than Pogba. Greatest ever African striker. Oh. You're telling me you had Xavi. That's the greatest. I, I, I have a question. Have you, have you watched? Have you watched those uh, that football from the old days? Like you know those when they were wearing wore those uh, tight, oh, tight tights. Oh, oh, the, the one where they're running slow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you watched some of those? International player in. Like you know during Maradona's time and Pele's time. Mm. Yeah. So you, you you think that was basically all trash? No, no. Okay, let, let me put it this way. Uh, yeah. It's difficult to translate errors because we don't know yeah. what modern sports science would have done for yeah. those guys. Sure. But for sure. me, in terms of the argument, you always have to go with what's known rather than unknown. Messi yeah. and Ronaldo do it at the toughest time it is to play football. There's more sophisticated defensive yeah. systems. People are more athletic, etc., etc. Now, Maradona could have translated that, but there's also the longevity argument. Messi and Ronaldo have done it for over a decade. Were it not for either one being there, those guys would have won 10 Ballon d'Ors each. Yeah. But you've got this thing where nobody's come close to the two of them for the last 12 years. Right yeah. now, we're beginning the tail end of Ronaldo's career when he's 35. 12 years after what he won his first title, we're beginning to talk about Kevin De Bruyne, Abu Hazard, and Neymar. But before that, you couldn't even have a conversation about anyone else. People try to yeah. put rubbish conversations about Manuel Neuer and whatever because they got tired of Messi and Ronaldo. Even I love Modric. Even Modric is win. Nonsense, that thing. It's nonsense. <laughs> what, I don't know. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I th- I think I agree with you. Like you, uh, no, not on Messi versus Ronaldo, but I think I agree with you on what you're saying now. <laughs> no, I mean, like you have to take into account the longevity uh, thing for greatness, because I see old timers. They like to do this to us. Ah, good team, you are never there. Oh, Maradona, Pele. I'm like, dude, these guys were doing it every four years. In a World Cup, it's a diluted tournament because you get weird teams. You got guys playing in Saudi Arabia. It's a broom yeah. league, there. Ah, yeah. it's like, you know what I'm saying? So you yeah, got yeah. weaker. Mm. And I'm like, every single year you look at their Champions League record for Messi and Ronaldo, toughest tournament ever conceived because the best players on the best teams with the best managers, they have all the time in the world to develop chemistry. And you play, and you see what they do in the latter stages. You remember Messi's goal against Bayern Munich when they won in 2015, semi final, yeah. where he just turned Boateng around. Yes, just, oh my goodness. And, and oh, yes. The man yeah. fell. Oh, the yes. man fell in slow motion. So, maybe that's another question. Which is the most important yeah. football tournament in the world right now? Because it's not necessarily the World Cup. So, which is the most. Uh, in terms of someone who's a fan of football, which is the most important football tournament? I'm with Mourinho on yes. that one. It has to be the Champions League. The UEFA Champions League is far more difficult than the World Cup. Uh, in Mourinho's words, you're competing, you're given a budget and you're competing against, what, uh, 30, 35 other teams where they also have a budget. You can sign any player in the world if you have the muscle to do that. Uh, you know, there's literally, it's... It's literally an environment where you've got the least number of constraints, you know. So everyone goes all out. Everyone absolutely goes all out. That's what makes it difficult. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good comment. What I think also the Premier League. I think that 30, 38 yeah. games in different in different. I think uh, yeah. thirty eight games can take a toll on on a team. Yeah. I think yeah. that. If in um, prior to prior to the the Man City's, I think on last year's last year's league showed that it was kind of the, one of the toughest leagues to play in. I think that um, the budgets that are given to some clubs are are high, but at the end of the day, you still have to compete. I think that mm. to play thirty eight games where each team is going to give you their or the each team is going to um, is gonna show up on the day, even if they're on the twenty, the twenty place, even if they don't have the best players, but they give you. I think that's the hardest for me, in my, in my, in my, in my, in my view. I think that that's the hardest. Champions League. The thing is that it's all luck. So it, you, it's it, it depends who you who you get um, who you face in different stages. So if you finish, if you finish first. You could easily get uh, a run-up, uh, round of 16, quarter-finals, uh, quarter and then only semi-finals where you actually face a top top team. And already by the semi-finals, so now it's a 50-50. You know what I mean? It can either go, it can go either way. I think that you have to, in the Premier League, you have to, you also you have to challenge that. Am I going to play my best, my best players in December? Where it's like what eight games in in one month? Yeah. That's a lot of games for someone to take in a toll in winter, in the peak of winter. I think that's a lot of toll for some for someone's body. And then after you also have to shatter that. Then there's injuries. Then after that, and also like in Ch- Champions League, you can also um, you can also make adjustments to your to, to your team. So essentially, when you get to the final stages, you can say you, you, 
you can essentially um, make uh, what is this? Bring in new players. You 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 help by bringing in new players in my in my in my projections. Like in terms of loans, in terms of um, do you bolster your squad? I think that in the Premier League, prior to the January transfer, those months before, you still have to with a shitty squad. You can still uh, you can still uh, compete, but it's not going to be as as great as if you were to be able to get um, a transfer window, and then after that, you're able to get new players. And then after that, you can still compete in the Champions League, if you see what I'm trying to say. So, yeah, that's yeah. what I think. I want to just chip in. I just think the, the best format for me is a league, the traditional league format. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's because there you play every team. But then one can argue and say that, well, um, you don't play every team at the same time. But obviously, that's physically impossible. But mm. at least you get a chance to play every team. So, yeah, for me, any league, any league will, will, will be the best format. Because, I mean, look at the championship. They play. They got like how many games? Like over forty games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, yeah. Games, I, yeah. I would say sure. they're, they're difficult for two different reasons. Um, okay. I think the league is difficult because, as Unzuzo was saying, was that the 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 amount of time you play the league, and also in the league you tend to face different kinds of challenges. So you might have a team. That's mm-hmm. very good at sitting in, you know, that whole trope about the Monday night at Stoke. That was yeah, a real, yeah. and a real challenge. It's a cold winter in England. You know, it's miserable. So it's a different kind mm. of challenge in that sense. But I think in terms of outright difficulty, you can't frown at the Champions League because you have to play teams twice. You can't luck out twice. You have to play the yeah, best yeah. world. Well, twice in the knockout stages you can't win it without you can't luck your way to the champions league Mm -hmm. there's been Mm -hmm. some very good teams that have not been able to repeat winning a champions league yeah real madrid is the only team to repeat big years so alex's great teams have not repeated pep guardiola's great barcelona team that blew man united off the park in that 2011 Mm -hmm. final it didn't repeat Mm -hmm. so it's a very very difficult tournament in terms of the quality you're up against, both defensively when you've got a team like Atletico Madrid and attackingly when you've got the likes of Barcelona and Real Madrid and Bayern Munich and PSG. Because those players, you don't face them all the time. For example, in the Champions League, let's say you do get a tough run from the round of 16 to the final. You may end up playing the champions of, of France, PSG, in the round of 16. You play Bayern Munich in the quarterfinals, the champions of Germany. You might end up playing Juventus in the semis, the champions of Italy. You might end up playing a final against, I don't know, Liverpool, the champions of England. Shout out. Hold that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Please, you are blinking now. (laughs) Stop this. You're going off here. You're going off the rails. You're going off the rails now. So, I I understand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I understand what you try to say. Like, uh, yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's 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 important for different reasons. Also, for Champions League, you need to be very tactical. It's it's mm-hmm. it's essentially based on it's all depending on you and your team. So mm-hmm. the manager needs to be tactical, genius. The teams yeah. need to be ready and up for it. Um, the the type of teams that you face, yes, it's some of the best players in the world. So mm-hmm. you're gonna have it's it's it, and you cannot lock out twice, like you say. So you have to play them twice at home and away. 
also, but also with the Premier League, there's also external things that you just cannot, um, that you cannot deal with, such as, for example, you know, the um, transfer market. Your competitor gets a, a good player, and also um, the, the the fix the type of fixtures that you have. You could have December where you have you you placing you Man City and you facing Arsenal, Liverpool, and Chelsea, but your competitor, a Man United is playing Stoke, Watford, uh, Wigan. You see, what I mean, like it's 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 the different types of uh, fixtures that can play can play some type of substantial. They can have a substantial effect on you. So yeah, like you said, it's different. In, but what would you rather win? I think that's the that's the question. That, what is that is the would you rather as win a the Liverpool league? fan? As a Liverpool fan, right now, I would rather win the league because there's a lot of people <laughs> who support mediocre clubs in London and Manchester who be talking, and they need to stop talking because every time I see them, I'm gonna play that English Premiership song on my phone. Be like, yo, do more. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I'm gonna play that song. That's what people like would do. Like, oh, oh, what is that? Second best team in the world. You, you've been quiet, bro. What's, what's going what? on? Yeah. Huh? You don't understand. Ah, what? what? Don't fall in the trap. I'm no doing the trap. I'm just listening in, man. That was it, man. I'm just listening in. No, but as Cindy, like, just quick question. How, yeah. you know, now that now this COVID 19 crisis is now gone rampant. Uh, Mm. Now, what do you let's say now this thing doesn't get solved in time? Now, what do you think the 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 what is it? What do you call these guys? The FA. What do you think the FA should do with this league? Do they just make it null and void, or yes. do they just or, or do they just give the championship to Liverpool? So here's my argument. I say, give it mm. to Liverpool because okay. there was a time in 2011 where Man United won the league with just 80 mm. points, and I think yeah. Liverpool are over 80 points already right now. No one's going to mm. catch them. No one's going to catch them. It's a, it, like, so mm. already, they, they're over the 80-point mark. Give them the title. That's what I think. Okay, I, I think it's very complicated. Firstly, I do think that as a Liverpool fan, we deserve the title. But it gets trickier the lower you go down. Because Liverpool, literally, we could sit at home for the rest of the league. Man City's not winning every game because they've been so inconsistent. They just yeah. need to lose one or two games and we win the league. They're not going to win every remaining game. So yeah. there's that, the argument for Liverpool. It gets trickier once you go down into the Champions League spots. Because then how do you decide who gets into the Champions League without enough fixtures and some of the mathematical permutations? Because it's easy for Liverpool. Because yeah. we're going to win this league no matter what. We deserve it. We outplayed everybody. But it's, it's difficult. It's difficult when you get to the relegation zone in terms of what you do. Even in the championship, I want Leeds to come up because I love Ellen Road, old school vibe, you know, that whole thing. But again, how do you decide? Because the gap isn't as big. Now, I think Leeds will pro would probably go up. So I think it depends, like, on the time stretch. Because personally, I think, yes, they've cancelled Euro 2020 and they've pushed it back. Well, postponed it, pushed it back to 2021, which is good. So my thing is this. Worst case scenario... I personally think if we clear everything by, let's say, August, I think you push back the next season and you push back Euro 2022. Even, I don't know, even more. You find a way. You push okay, it back. I, see. I, so, I don't know. Because I think the league is more important than, than the Euros. I think in okay. football terms, it will come down to that decision of 
because you can't just simply say to clubs who've worked really hard, no, we're just null and void in the season. Because there's a lot of money at stake as well. If you think about yeah. the money you get, if you get the champ, or let's say you drop out the Premier League, that is a massive fight. You know how much difference the money is between the league, the, the Premier League, and the championship. You can't cancel that for a tourney like the Euros, which has no real financial value attached to it. Mm-hmm. You, you get what I'm saying? So worst case yeah. scenario, I think you, somehow you scrap the Euros, push it, even if you push it back to 2023 until after the World Cup, and you play two years in a row, but you have to protect the integrity of what is central in football, and club football is central. So if you have to push it back until August, I don't mind that at all. I mean, yeah. even if you, you have to play the rest of the games behind closed doors initially, that's fine. As long as we get the results, but keep the integrity of the leagues, the Champions League, the, the, the La Liga, or whatever else, the Premier League. But let's keep that in my view. We have to somehow find a way to play those games out. No, I, okay. I think I agree with you. I mean, I think leagues are probably the most important aspects of football. Mm. I mean, that's why my the, the greatest team to ever exist, Kaiser Chiefs, is still around. So, yeah, yeah leagues, man. Leagues. <laughs> Kaiser yeah, Chiefs I... and Pirates are the only reason. Oh, shit. Oh, the the guest just made a, an evil sign right now. We need to ban him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, no, but uh, yeah, but I, I agree, agree with, with Cindy. Uh, Cindy, Cindy, there as well. Um, yeah, I think yeah, push comes to shove. Everyone play twice a week behind yes. closed doors and wrap this up. So I, I have to say this: Jose niggas are bitches niggas. Like you, you guys support pirates. No one else <laughs> in the country supports pirates except Jose niggas. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Oh, 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 hard hey, pay. Hard you'll be pay. surprised. Eh? <laughs> you'll be surprised. Yeah, actually, you'll be surprised. No, I know, I know for a fact. I know for a fact. I know for a fact. They have their own teams, man. Little Datuba. Nah. Yeah, Black nah, Leopards. Nah, nah. <laughs> nah, when, you, when they what go there, they, they fill up their stadium. They fill up their... It's, it's, not, it's not just Black grass. Leopards. Baroka FC is, I think, there oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Polo Guan yeah. is City. Polo that's a third. <laughs> like, you can go around looking around the teams and things, but the only rational team to support is Kaiser Chiefs. Everything else doesn't make sense. I don't care. Here's the thing. I grew up in Mafi Gang, and in Mafi Gang, there's yeah. a... There's a big divide between chiefs or pirates. It's that simple. It's literally that simple. Whole families, whole churches, yeah. <laughs> an entire workplace, workforce in a company. You pick a team. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's the only teams that matter. Maybe Sundowns and Solos. Oh, fuck. Swallows are gone, bro. Those guys are gone. Swallows. He can buy our football. I mean, like, you know, we know Pirates and Chiefs, so they can do whatever. But sometimes, bro, you can't buy our football. Like, you have to. No, but you must, you must remember one thing. Uh, Motepe is in a billionaire's club where uh, eventually <laughs> your bragging rights are uh, I- I- intrinsically tied to which team you own. And uh, when they're in their gentlemen's clubs, uh, you know, smoking cigars you and yeah. I have never heard of, uh, you know, that, that's how 
uh, that's how you have your pissing contest. You know, you can yeah. sit there with the Arabs and, and gloat about uh, how the team you own is doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then yeah. don't play football. Still played football. Petrus Mutep hasn't played football, so that's what I'm saying. Kaiser Mutang has played football. Wait, what's what's Batman's superpower? Batman, money. He's just smart. (laughs) No, he's rich. Yeah, he's rich and smart and smart. Yeah, you can be fast. You can do whatever. But there's always that guy who's rich. And guess who leads the Justice League? It's Batman. (laughs) Guess who leads the Avengers? Yeah. Tony Stark. Stark. Yep. So Oxalayo, man. <laughs> the AFF was right. The paper. <laughs> the paper talks. Money talks, of course, but also yeah, accolades talk, niggas. Uh, and Chiefs has the most yes. accolades. Final point. Chiefs has the most accolades. When was the last time you won an African trophy? Okay, let's move to the next topic. What <laughs> Guys, so this week oh, wow. we had a we had a um a certain radio presenter. Um, I don't listen to him. I don't know how guys listen to him. Um, he was making noise about um the about the Woolies chicken that now he cannot buy cooked food or prepared food. Now it's crazy. Guys, your thoughts. I'll go last on this, cause yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll start. Then. I'll start. It's 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 stupid. I, I think it's dumb because when I I went to Wool I went to Woolies yesterday, right? I wanted to get a pie, and then yeah. I'm like, what? I can't get a pie. The pie section, everyone was gone, right? Everybody gone. Everybody's gone. Then I go down the aisle and I see this pizza, okay, but it's not cooked, and I'm like, so you telling me that the difference? between legal and illegal is 40 minutes in the oven. Think about that. <laughs> 40 minutes in the oven is, is the difference between legal and illegal. And I'm like, this is absolutely stupid. I, I, I am not, I, I'm, I'm not happy with it. And also at the same time, what about places like Food Lovers Market? Like you got a homie that works there. Now he can't, now he can't get, now he can't earn a living. What about people that live in the hood and they actually sell cooked food for a living in the hood? What are they going to do? So that's my, that's my rant on that. Yeah. Um, I think, I think the, 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 the chicken ban, which I'm going to call it that, is the chicken ban. We need to brand yeah. things like Americans. You know, yeah. chicken ban. Yeah. The chicken, chicken ban. Call it what it is. It's got to catch on. <laughs> the chicken ban. Um, I think it, it shows the, the lack of foresight by the government. Um, I think, for me, I understand, I, I understand, I'm going to be charitable. I understand why the government feels it's necessary to lock down. However, I feel it wasn't thought out or nuanced well enough. So some of the questions I've been asking myself is, if Woolies can have a drive-through click-and-order service, why can't restaurants do the same? Because yeah. if restaurants take the precautions and they socially, why can't you go to a KFC and go through the drive-through? Or KFC prepares the food in-house, takes the precautions, and you can have a delivery of that food. 
That's what I don't understand. Someone can yeah, give it through the gate, do the precautions. That way you don't shut down absolutely everything in the economy. So for me, it shows a lack of foresight and thinking. Because I'm thinking now in terms of even the hunger um, issue. Like, so one of the things you can do with uh, ShopRite, I think it's ShopRite, you can send people vouchers to go shop at ShopRite. So my question is, if you can't have a cooked service, because one of the things the private sector could do that government's not doing and people are hungry, is that you could conceivably have an organized effort in which people can order food for other people without having to take themselves physically to places where people are hungry. And that food can be delivered by people who've taken the precautions. Because I find it weird that people can get permits to go into places like Yabo, some parts of the Elokshin. People will go from the suburbs, get up, and they'll take pictures to deliver food. And they haven't taken any real, like, professional precautions. But you could have business in the private sector do this, and it also stimulates the economy and jobs. You know what I mean? So you get yeah. you, you essentially kill two birds with one stone. So because yeah. the private sector can do that because they've got a profit motive. So that's what I don't understand in terms of the food thing is why aren't we thinking in that sense? Because now we've gotten into this binary where people just pretty much scream you down and they'll tell you, oh, you don't care about people's lives. You care about profits over people. And I'm like, no, the economy is people. Because yeah. people are starving right now. You could have seen that weeks in advance. When you take away, because a lot of people aren't in the, in the formal sector of employment. They're in the, the informal sector, either by being self-employed and selling their products or their services in some cases. Or you've got people that are basically hustling. You know, guys, if you drive down, I see it a lot in Joburg. You drive down near, like near a mall, you'll see Amachita with signs. Like they paint or they do this or they do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. If they yeah. don't have that ability, they go hungry. They're not mm. on the paper trail of the government. And not enough people have thought about that. I mean, I I've encountered a lot of things in the Eastern Cape when you go to, you know, Islaline and the rural areas where people don't have proper documentation. How are you gonna yeah. get help from the government if you don't have proper documentation? A lot of those people are off the paper trail. They're hustling, yeah. and those people are going to go hungry. So that is the problem, and it wasn't well thought out. And the biggest problem is this. Despite all the talk about we're going to help black people, etc., etc., our people, people in government are out of touch with the realities on the ground. They talk a big game, but they actually don't understand. They're like kings in the clouds, and they dispense little things to us. They're like sitting, where, where's that place the Greek gods sat? And they sat from afar, <laughs> but they always Olymp Mount Olymp and they could always, you know, mess with our lives from afar yeah. on top yeah, of yeah. their mountain. And that's what the government is really like for me. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with that. And they, I think they, they, they're well out of touch. Eh? You can't, mm. I mean, how can you, you, you it's what Thomas Saul has been saying, that the government will never pay the price for being wrong. Never. Mm. The only yeah. time they, they'll, they'll make regulations up to the point where it doesn't affect them. So they can say, listen, we're going to have a, a school program where we base it on where you live. But when their kids want to go to school, they can just send them to a private school. They don't have to be part of that system. 
So, and that's the thing. The yeah. government has got the means to avoid it. And, and, that's, and that's why, you know, it, it, is it really right that these guys should be making these decisions? You know, it's, just um, sitting there yeah. in Pretoria. Yeah, no, let's, no. let's look at it in bite sizes, guys. Let's uh, let's just do it uh, everything in bite sizes. For example, the alcohol and cigarettes ban. So the the um, the logic behind why they banned it is because people are gonna start um, uh, congregating into into crowds, into groups because they have alcohol. If alcohol is sold, and uh, I don't know the logic behind the cigarette thing, it still doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. But that's the logic behind the alcohol banning that people are going to be forced and, and people are going to feel the need to go to, to, go to the taverns and to enjoy there mm. I've been congregating man since this alcohol ban started I've been congregating getting alcohol from people so I agree with them the government is right <laughs> okay so then why are they wrong <laughs> so you think that the alcohol ban should carry on then no, it should carry on definitely. I've met people I haven't met before, so on the cigarettes though, uh, mm. I think the rationale there is that uh, this is a respiratory virus. So oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, given that uh, it will reduce your immunity specifically in your respiratory system, uh, yeah, that's that that's their rationale, I believe. So yeah, uh, look, I'm not a smoker that's myself, right. so. But yeah. you've already been smoking, so I don't understand. <clears throat> Three weeks of smoking is going to make a difference now. Isn't your lungs already de uh, deteriorated already due to the years of smoking? Yeah. The months of smoking. Okay, so his lungs are fat. <laughs> he says he's going to smoke, but his lungs are fat, so. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, hey. <laughs> so, yeah, hey. so. <laughs> so uh, what do you guys think about the the bands and stuff like that? Doom, if you want to start. Oh yeah, um, I think your I think your 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 camera's off in Zuzo, but I'll start with the bands. I think okay. your camera's off, bro. You ca you can't hide yourself, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. You can't hide yourself, bro. I'm playing, man. <laughs> okay, we well, you bro. Just <laughs> don't hide yourself. You you yeah. already asked. There we go. There we <laughs> go. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'll start. Okay, I think. Okay, the bands. I just want to go back to uh, Cindy's point about the economy and the people. I think that's the overarching theme, okay? So um, what's happened is that, like, even when I, at the beginning, I was, like, in support of the lockdown, but then I, I realized that, oh, this actually has some detrimental economic effects. And I think what has happened now is that um, now with these bans, they're becoming more draconian by the day. They're starting to ban things that are not even, it, it, it doesn't even relate, like, you know, cooked chicken, for example, you know? And uh, the logic behind it doesn't it doesn't make sense. So what I what I was saying is that there needs to be a balance struck, right? There needs to be a balance struck. I mean, now if you don't want people congregating, at least allow them to get the services that they want or the or the products that they want, but you do it through deliveries. So now already, you know, if you look at Take a Lot, Take a Lot can deliver essential services. But I was like, well, if they can deliver, I mean, essential goods and services, why can't they deliver everything else that's on their catalog? That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So I, I just think for me, the, like as Cindy was saying, there hasn't been enough um, foresight or enough thinking on this issue. All, all that it's just been, it's just like blanket ban on everyone. And those guys who are saying that, no, we can't just have a, um, an approach where um, we just don't have a lockdown or have a, a very light lockdown. Well, then why are they supporting a blanket approach on 
on on on a full scale lockdown. It doesn't make sense. So I just think that um, you know, we have to cut it down the middle, and the government hasn't done that because they're out of touch, and they're scared that if they do allow anyone with do allow anyone with any top sort of freedom to do what they want, that it might uh, make the situation worse. That's my thoughts. Look, uh, I just don't like the fact that uh, you know. Obviously, yeah, I think I mentioned this the other week as well that people are working from home, you know, and then uh, yeah, your your computer could die, you know. Mm-hmm. You're allowed to go and buy a laptop, but uh, for someone like me who's using a workstation, you know, I can't go and buy a webcam that will sit on top there. It's been mm-hmm. declared as non-essential. You know, what harm is there in me buying a webcam? Uh, what harm is there in someone needing to go and buy a microwave? You know, uh, what harm is there in, you know, now that I'm at home, uh, can I go and buy a coffee machine? You know, mm-hmm. uh, those are all declared as non-essential, but what's the rationale? You know, uh, who am I harming? What risk am I putting myself in by wanting to uh, use a machine to make my coffee? You know, and that's just, yeah, those are just, uh, you know, uh, Rose Garden type examples. And there's obviously some more serious ones out there. But that's literally what it comes down to. And I agree with uh, Dumo there that at the very least, if you don't want people queuing up in shops to buy goods that you deem are not necessary to sustain life, that's oh. fine. Uh, but just let Mr. Delivery or whoever delivered then, you know, the oh. shops would, uh, they would quickly put together something where, you know, they can enable you to do that. Uh, your delivery companies, uh, you know, uh, the ones specifically around logistics and such, uh, they're allowed to operate. So, yeah, why don't you let them take things a little bit further and, you know, I'll stay at home, but give me the option of having to, you know, give me the option of uh, having goods delivered. You know? Don't tell me what isn't uh, essential or not. Really, we, we, don't, we all don't live different lives. You know, it's like an internet connection. Uh, some people, uh, Vodacom, uh, the other day said that uh, usage has spiked up by 40% in the month of April alone, I believe. You know, but we don't use internet the same. You know, I looked mm. at my bill. I've <laughs> done, I think, over 300 gigabytes this month. Show sure. At home. That's the reality. But for some people, you know, they've, 10 is enough. Who am I mm. to then go out and uh, put a blanket statement to the to the telecoms and say no? Uh, you need to give people twenty gigabytes minimum. I can use myself as an example. I use that in a day. You know who am I to do that? You know, so I can't go ahead and prescribe what is essential for anyone, but the government is doing that to us. Mm-hmm. And you know, and that mean, and that means yeah. And uh, I just want to add this point before we continue. Um, and that also goes to the food parcels as well. Because people are saying that, oh, no, I mean, yes, these guys can't buy food. Huh? <laughs> oh, he's, 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 he's like, okay. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> it goes back to the food parcels as well. Not everyone has the same needs when it comes to food. So now yeah. these guys are delivering food and stuff like that. And people are saying that, well, the government, can, the government is helping out by delivering food. But I'm like, well, they may not even need it. And also at the same time, who says they're going to consume it as well? So that mentality of like, I can decide what's good for you is very evident in the government delivering the food or the parcels and stuff like that. Yeah. But I I wanted to put my two cents there. Mm. Sorry, what was that? Oh, I just wanted to put my two cents. No, no, continue. 
Oh, okay. I was going to say, um, I think the arguments I've heard have been the ones from the supply side of the equation. Um, and my argument is this. Can a factory, can a business not be trusted to put the measures in place to ensure the safety of their workers to get there? So my thing is, if you are in certain sectors, the productive sectors, the retail sectors, etc., um, why can a workplace not be trusted to put certain things in place? I mean, yes, I, I, I hear some of the arguments as well around transportation, but the same thing can apply. As those people are going to work, you can put certain restrictions on taxis as well. I mean, this requires a bit more of um, the nuance for us to get somewhere. In terms of the alcohol one, my argument was, why can't you get it delivered to you? Why can you not order? If the government is really concerned about people trying to cheat the system, at the very worst, they can put caps on how much you order. At the mm-hmm. very worst. But yeah. I, I don't understand. Because the thing is, they'll tell you about, oh, it weakens your system or people. There's alcohol-related injuries, etc., etc. You know, trauma unit. And my thing is, if somebody is at home, because the problem with with the alcohol-related injuries is that they usually happen when people are driving around drunk or when they're knocking around pedestrians. A lot of those injuries are there. Um, And so my, my argument is this. If somebody is drinking alcohol at home, do those injuries happen? No, because you're at your house. You don't knock over pedestrians. You yeah. don't drive drunk. It gets delivered to you. So that's the issue. I think the government needs, like, the government hasn't picked um, their spots carefully. So uh, uh, perhaps we can say the government has used um, a blunt force instrument instead of a scalpel, which I think yeah. is the big problem yeah. in terms of what we're doing here. So I think for yeah. me, that's the issue. Because right now, all we're doing is, is we're pumping up black markets for stuff. And in yeah. the long gang members get hold of a black market and something, it's going to get violent. I mean, that's the reason why drug, drug wars are so violent, is because it is an illegal substance. Um, yeah. So that's what I, I that concerns me a lot. I'll be honest, that concerns me. Yeah. Mm. So just on that, uh, what what do you think? I'd like your opinions, Lindile. I mean, I was watching the mm. news uh, last night, and mm. yeah, they were they were interviewing. Uh, I think he's a uh, it's 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 so it's a man in the Western Cape, I believe. He he's a wine exporter, and uh, you know he was just uh, telling us about how. As a small business owner, and this is a guy who's won awards for his wine and, and, and everything, you know, so this is not your fly-by-night, small, fresh kind of guy, you know, he's running a small enterprise, uh, but he's globally recognized and, uh, you know, he's got a long list of international customers mm. that are looking forward to his, uh, the produce of his harvest year in, year out. But now this is someone who can no longer export wine because uh, that's declared as non-essential meaning his entire business is at risk. And he was saying that, listen, I've put everything into getting this harvest out. You know, I've yeah. spent literally everything. And now I'm sitting yeah. with literally tons of unbottled wine 
you know, all of the swine which has a long line of customers looking forward to it, but I can't get it to them, uh, be it locally because the alcohol ban or internationally because, again, not every country is banning the sale of, of alcohol. But this is someone who wants to export his produce so he can pay his workers who he's employing. He's mm. prevented from doing that now. You know, mm. And that's just one industry. You, know, you mm-hmm. could multiply this several times over, over also smaller industries. Now, this mm. was a guy who was then coming out and saying, listen, um, you know, I'm actually prepared to put in whatever safety measures are necessary for me to actually mm. do the job of uh, getting my wine out to export. You know, so he's not against the lockdown, mm. but the government is against him actually being in business. You know, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's concerning. But yeah, what's your opinion on something like that? Uh, what would you advise government if it was uh, up to you? If you sat on the advisory panel, you know, I know there's a fancy word for the response team, task force, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. I would I would definitely be advising government to look at it on a sectoral basis in terms of what are the challenges around each and every sector in terms of putting in the right kind of precautions. I'd also be looking, worst case scenario, is that you look at different companies, like bigger companies, for example, you look at them hiring out transport. I mean, it's an added cost, but your business is still going. If you're a big company, you'll find a way to absorb it long term. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because that's one of the biggest concerns is, no, there's public transport, there's taxis, et cetera, et cetera. So my argument is, if a big company, for example, like Woolies, would need their workers, my, my argument is Woolies can hire out some form of a big bus or something, and they can absorb it in the bigger scheme of things. I mean, even if they yes. slightly price up their products, most consumers, I think, would be happy to pay, middle and and upper class consumer would be happy to pay some of the add-on if you can get the things you want at convenience. So for me, it's that kind of thinking from a sectoral basis. So if you look at a small winemaker, the simple thing is to simply get your your, uh, wines out so that they can get them on a ship and they can be, you know, delivered to whatever country you need. And that requires... It doesn't require a, a lot of complex logistics, so that one would probably mm. be easier. But, I mean, you can look at it across sectors. I mean, it might cost a little more, but what it will do is that it will keep the economy chugging along. In, in another way, it would actually keep revenues for government coming along as well, because right now, five weeks of lockdown have destroyed quite a lot of government revenue yeah. um, that's supposed to be coming through. So there's that effect as well. The third effect is that people, did I mention this, that people would still be able to keep their jobs. A lot of people, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people could still keep their jobs. And it would mean that government doesn't have to spend so much money on just trying to sustain people. Because I read the other day that uh, Tito Mboweni is looking for funding. I think it was the IMF or the World Bank. And that funding will be specifically to fight the coronavirus. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, well, there's other issues. Because now that people are going to lose their jobs, there's going to have to be some kind of social support. Americans, America in many ways is the richest country that's ever been. They can, in, in one sense, even in one sense, they can afford to cut somebody a check far more than we can in yeah. one sense. 
it's still not advisable yeah. in some sense, but they can. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at some of the countries around the world. Canada has got a more nuanced approach to a lockdown. And yeah. even then, and I read this somewhere, Canada is set to, the, the economy is set to shrink 23% in the second quarter on an annualized basis. And this is, is with people going to work in Canada. A lot of people, yeah. they can buy booze, they can do certain things. Like certain things are off the list and other things you can still do. And they are still set for a lot of pain. It's going to be a bloodbath even in Canada. So my concern is in this country, you look at some of the headline figures. The SARB um, estimates there's 375,000 jobs that could be lost. Mike mm-hmm. Schussler and Root are working with between 1 and 1.6 million jobs. So to me, that's frightening. I mean, if, if, even if we just we take the lower, we are conservative and we take the lower estimates of the SARB and we go with 375,000 jobs, that is still a heck of a lot of people, a heck of a lot of families who, who won't have a breadwinner and a lot of people who are going to go hungry. And clearly, government does not have the capacity and perhaps maybe even the, 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 the skills needed in management to make sure that everybody gets food, everybody gets what they need post this lockdown. Because we can't just think merely of this five-week shutdown. We have to think of the aftermath of this shutdown. And so for yeah. me, we have these problems that are going to carry on. And some of the structural issues that the, the, the virus has shown us, just to, mm-hmm. to, to add to what you were asking, is they're only going to get worse because there's, new, there's, there's some studies that seem to point that the virus stays in raw soup, your waste. So if that is the case and more research shows that, um, uh, that the, the coronavirus stays present in raw sewage, we have got a problem in this country because our wastewater works are in a shambles because mm-hmm. the, the, the comrades have been stealing the money that's been needed for maintenance, for upgrades. We've got problems because our sanitation in, 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 in formal settlements is non-existent. People are sharing portable toilets. And that yeah. is a very real risk in terms of even if we get this thing down, even if we we can do certain things until a vaccine is found. There's the danger even post a lockdown that there will be reinfection and it will be mostly among the most poor and vulnerable South Africans there are. So my issue is that because government has focused so bluntly on just locking down and using brute force, we're missing the fact that we have to we have to spread our resources. So if Tito is just thinking about the medical side of it, there's still the problem of if this thing is in raw sewage and people start to catch it in the informal settlement, it's going to flame up. So what are you going to do? Is the government just going to shut down Ekasi or the informal settlements and let people in the suburbs roam free? Are they literally thinking that they're going to, they're going to shut down the people who need to be at work the most? So these yeah. are like so these are some so, of the risk factors we have. Mm-hmm. In, so now yeah. let's let's look let's look at the reasons why they uh, they shutting down. 
So they're obviously looking from a medical point point of view and they're thinking to themselves, okay, firstly, we need to obviously ramp up testing. So apparently there's been more than 100,000 tests that have been done so far. And they're hoping to reset, they have to reach 600,000 by the end of this lockdown if they're able to actually give any any way forward as to how they're going to deal with the with the testing as well as the lockdown itself should they ease it should they keep it the same they're saying that this peak the the the, the virus might peak in september that's what that mm. professor said and he said that um if there's also if there's a uh, if there's more than 90 people each day being uh being infected with the virus then they're gonna have to keep continue with the with the lockdown and there's various other models as well that they say that they've been using. Also, there's various other um, initiatives yeah. that they say they need to stop ramping on. But from what my, um, from if if you can just um, from your point of view, looking at the data that this professor as well as the government is relying on, and also um, what various other medical specialists have said. Do you think that the the lockdown itself? Do you think that the the lockdown was actually based on these things, or do you think that it's actually the government just saying, okay, throw these throw these throw this data at the at the public, but also don't make them realize that we do not have the capacity as public health to actually deal with this problem. So we need to buy time, and that's essentially what Julian Kizer was saying. We need to buy time for our public health um mm. system to actually get the capacity to deal with the many infections that will come about by the end of september so what is your view on that on on and very and all of you can can give your own input you can start with yeah. you Cindy. okay uh, um i i think i think he's right in that that um lockdowns are supposed to buy you time for you to ready your your public health system and especially for us, since um, we've had two decades of neglect in our public health system. Um, and uh, some of the, the data that you can see is that a lot of the testing is being done in the private sector. Um, mm -hmm. So I think the, the government was right to say that he's actually telling the truth, that you needed to buy time so you could prepare, um, you know, uh, the extra logistics that you need to, in order to deal with people if you have a large contagious spread. Um, what I did kind of find, because initially I was for the lockdown in, in the sense that I was like, okay, we can take the pain of the initial lockdown because we do have a, a public health crisis on our hands and the government does need to buy itself time in order to deal with it because we're not heartless. We're not trying to get people's grandmas to die and everything. But that the extension is what threw me off because there was there was always going to be a tipping point of people starting to get hungry and i don't think the government thought through that well enough because for me i was thinking mm -hmm. this and i'm like okay three weeks is is about a knife edge of when people can, will start getting hungry mm -hmm. but if you extend it further people are really going to start getting hungry i mean we're only in the 18th of april and this thing is ending at the end of the month. And people are already hungry. And people are already beginning to get uh, uh, in increasingly violent, increasingly ungovernable. Mm -hmm. um, so that poses a mm -hmm. lot of risks to us. But back to um, what you were saying about the, the, the data on it. Um, I, I, think, I think the government, in, in one sense, because I think that the issue with us is that 
we have got world-class scientists and we've got world-class doctors in this country and we've got people who are working on this. But what this, this, um, this virus is showing is that we've got a weak political class. So even as people praise our politicians and praise our president, the real praise is actually being or should be directed towards our experts, our, you know, our virologists and the people who are doing the work and making sure they can get the best available data because the data part is really tricky for us. But mm -hmm. the responses to the data is the problem for me. And that, and that sits squarely with our political class. It sits with when he sits there and he just makes a blanket ban and he starts speaking in terms which I think encourage uh, brutality with the police and, and the army. I think yeah. that's the issue that we, we are facing is the weak political class and the response to the data because the data is there and we know that this is this is a highly contagious um, virus. We know we need to take precautions. We know that things can't be um, normal. Things can't be, we can't just move along as if it's normal. We can take precautions, et cetera, et cetera. But that needs to be balanced out with the nuance. And mm -hmm. there's other data because there isn't just public health data. There's also economic data, which we were yeah. talking about earlier. And that needs to be balanced out. And those are management or political um, leadership decisions. And so because of what you see with the banning and the Woolies chicken to bring it all back around, we're seeing the problems with having a weak political leadership. Even as people praise the president, it shows when people are getting murdered in their own homes or people are getting stopped and beaten and, and having guns shoved in their faces when they're trying to shop at ShopRite. Yeah. That shows political leadership, uh, a, a lack of political leadership and political weakness. When people are going hungry, when the economy is being absolutely decimated, that is showing political leadership because it's showing that people are not able to balance the data. It's a difficult balance, mm -hmm. but in my, in my view, um, the country as a whole, the leadership and even the president, they're not doing a good job in balancing um, the concerns that we have based on that data. Oh, and it goes mm -hmm. back to what um, e economists of old have been saying, that um, mm -hmm. when it comes to centrally planning an economy, there's just too many factors in place for a bureaucracy yeah. to manage. And I think we're starting to see that now, is that um, mm -hmm. they want to achieve one objective and they hit a blanket approach, and now mm -hmm. we're starting to see the ill effects of it because they don't understand the nuances the nuances, sorry, <laughs> mm -hmm. that exist. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's it, 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 that's a very that's 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 a very good point. And now I'm mm -hmm. now going back to the public health care system. Mm -hmm. You know, this is I think now for me this should tell us that look, and as much as we don't want to overload the system, mm -hmm. um, we also need to be um, considerate of the fact that we need to have more supply of health care in the market. So that if we do have events like this in the future, we will be able to handle um, the load. The problem now is that um, our our healthcare sector is highly regulated. Um, mm. It's the, the, it, there's a tiered system. There's a public health one, and then there's the private health one. Private health mm. one, they can't they can't compete on economies of scale because they're serving mm. such a small market. And mm. now it's it, it's becoming a it's becoming a challenge because now we have a situation like this and. 
we don't want to overload the system, but if we actually decided to really liberalize the whole system, we wouldn't have this crisis in the first place with regards to the public health care. So what do you think about that? Um, my view is this. Um, it, and, and I think I'll, I'll have to try and go back to a sort of first principles approach. Um, mm -hmm. You kind of look at some of the more successful systems around the world, um, which aren't universal systems per se, that give out and dole out stuff. You look at places like Singapore, um, and you look at places like Switzerland. And the one commonality they have is even when the government does subsidize healthcare for people, people still have skin in the game. Mm -hmm. So people still pay into their plans. So you might pay on a sliding skis, sliding, sliding fee scale. Sorry, tongue twister. You might pay on a sliding <laughs> fee scale. Um, so I, if I look at our health system, in an ideal world, I would like it to be a system in which you have a sliding fee scale. So, but the, the issue with that is that healthcare is in some ways tied into a whole lot of other things. Um, it's tied into your housing, your sanitation, your environment, how healthy you eat. And some of those things are a bit more problematic if you live, for example, in a cramped um, informal settlement with no sanitation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So my view is this. Um, you can't see healthcare absent of other things like jobs, like a growing economy. Um, because I think one of the things you can make healthcare work in this country is that we have to tie it to a growing economy and to uh, labor-intensive industries coming in. So one of my proposals, and I wrote an article for the Free Market Foundation, was that um, South Africa has to deregulate the labor market um, mm -hmm. to signal to investors that we are open for business and we are wanting labor-intensive um, investment in labor-intensive industries. Because people, oh. right now... Um, a lot of companies will want to diversify their supply chains away from China because you're seeing it now with the bloodbath on Amazon in that um, uh, small providers, um, small, uh, what's it, businesses on Amazon cannot source their products from China and couldn't for the longest time and were having to close down and not being able to get products to consumers. And so people realize because of the wet markets and, and, and some of the, the, the issues around China, a lot, of, a, lot of, um, a lot of businesses will want to diversify away. And I think South Africa is well-placed with our very good banking system, with the fact that we have a lot of young people who are unskilled, who need employment. We are well-placed. Um, our labor is going to be relatively cheap. Um, mm -hmm. We are well-placed for that. So I think if you have a system in which people have money, people are able to raise the floor of their lives, and then you have a healthcare system that does have a sliding scale, then I think you can make healthcare a lot more private and a lot more workable. So in Singapore, what they have is they have a tiered system. I think it's A to D. In A, you 
pay everything, but you get your own personal room and you can choose your doctor. In the lowest um, uh, ranking, you are in a ward with other people and your doctor gets chosen for you. But it's all mm -hmm. private delivery. So in terms of how the costs. And in that system, I think, uh, and, and I could be uh, corrected in this, but the government pays a portion and then another portion comes out of what you are paying your medical plan. So I think that could be a very workable system if we change certain other parts and we get employment up and we get uh, people's living standards up where they can eat better and certain other things, then we can start to implement. Because my personal view, and I kind of follow um, some of the, the, the ideas coming out of the, the, the IRR, um, I think it's Dr. Dr. Anthea Jeffrey, who's proposing a scrapping of BEE. And my add-on to that would be scrap BEE, replace it with a surcharge on companies that is used to um, help prop up education and healthcare. Because I think companies have a very big interest in propping and having a healthy population and having a well-educated population. Because in That's the future... True. Yeah. Because in the future, because that has a future effect. Because if yes. you have a educated population and a higher earning population and a more employed population, it gives scope. It helps us with the demand side of the economy, and it will help us. It will help our companies grow. It will help our companies become richer in the longer term. So I yeah. think it, there is a rational reason to replace B because BEE, as uh, Professor William Gumede did of Vitz pointed out, there's almost been, I think, a trillion rand of transfers in BEE deals. But most of it has gone to, you know, the very politically well- As Dumo likes to always point out, the government is picking <laughs> winners and losers. And that's yes. problematic because uh, one of the after effects of that, and, and this relates to healthcare, is that the people who win are the people who are most well-connected or the most caterish. We are incentivizing all the wrong kinds of behavior in the black community, especially. Because yeah. the white community doesn't get those benefits. They're on their own, literally. Um, and so they so look out for their own as well. Yes, they're incentivized. And also they're incentivized in a different way than what the black community is. Because mm -hmm. in the... But those are the... Well, those are the underlying principles of a radical economic transformation, Cindy. Yes. You don't understand. Yeah. That's your problem. That's the problem that we're having because right now, too many people do not have, because people don't have enough skin in the game, not enough people are employed, not enough people have skin in the game in terms of healthcare and education. Yeah. Uh, People are divorced from the reality that government doesn't have money. So if you were to say something, yeah. uh, someone in the Eastern Cape and say, uh -uh, government actually doesn't have money, they're in deep, deep debt. The debt to GDP ratio is appalling and we're being downgraded because of it. People are going to say, Aibo, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> <laughs> That's what they'll tell you. People will tell you what they see from their lived yeah. experience. Um, 
<coughs> excuse me, I don't have coronavirus, just uh, cold. Um, we can't catch it through the internet. So it's fine if you have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, we just watch you die. Yeah. So, so yeah. the issue that so the issue with that is that because of that and because people's livelihoods in a lot of the cases um, a, lo- a lot of the advancement for a lot of black people is not attached to the real economy it's attached to what government chooses and throws out it kind of whacks out and i think that's one of the reasons that anc keeps winning because a lot of people will keep saying to you like ah nivoteli anc but the anc does that and I point out to people, and I'm like, people always vote according to perceived self-interest. So if your perceived self-interest is detached from the real economy, you're going to vote for whoever you think is going to give you the best possible deal. So if, if you're getting social grants and you're like, okay, the ANC gives me a social grant, or the ANC comes with this program at this time, or before 94, there's Lali. We had gravel roads, but the ANC, in, in the midst mm-hmm. of all shooting, built a tar road. People are going to go, well, the ANC built me a tar road. So there's always that issue. Um, and so for me, we have this issue where we have a systems problem. And as long as we have that problem where people are divorced from the real economy and they don't have skin in the game, a lot of these systematic problems with cages are going to persist hmm. definitely no, no, no. glad to have you back man yeah man i was just involved in black markets bro like it's you know the guy called me and it was you know oh the plug the plug was was there <laughs> exactly <laughs> the plug, when, the when the plug calls you bro you have to you have to be available yeah. <laughs> okay <laughs> But I think, like, you know, I want to know, bro, like, uh, Sindile, like, you know, mm. you, mm. you, 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 you have a lot of good ideas, but mm. like, do you think fundamentally government should be providing healthcare? Um, from a first principles perspective, no, but, and, and this is my issue, there's a but in this. I think, I think government, because of where we are and not just apartheid, but the last 20 years where the government has absolutely wiped out jobs for people because we, we have less employed people than we did 94. I think a subsidization, so a kind of voucher system where you subsidize people. Mm. I can live with that for now in the sense that, but I think... Like places like Singapore, you still need to have people have skin in the game. I don't think it should be just government. I do think people need skin in the game. However you pay. So even if you pay and you make it proportional to your salary or whatever, because you don't want to starve people just for healthcare. I think think you do need skin in the game. Because when people have skin in the game, they do care. And when they do care they hold government accountable. So I do think in this period, yes, to the extent that they subsidize people. I don't think government should be delivering health services. 
Because those are the different aspects of it. It's the same thing with education. Yeah. I personally think from a, from a perspective that government can fund it, and I mean, it's in the Constitution and we can talk about that, but I don't think government should really be delivering education because they're not very good at it. Yeah. So, so, so your idea about, about, about healthcare and education is that mm. it should be provided by the private sector. Yes, yes. Ideally, that's what you want. Um, in terms of education, that's a lot more difficult because I've kind of... I've kind of gotten into the ins and outs of it. It would be very difficult to completely do away with public school. Mm -hmm. An element of competition. And you started small in terms of pilots and you introduce kind of like voucher schools, voucher system, where you get different people, Caro, whoever else, and they compete within areas. Because I think once people start to see, and, and people talk, Especially in people talk, ah, Ntanam goes to this school and they do this. And someone says, oh, they don't do this in my child's school. Ah, 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 and then people start getting ideas. And that's what we need. We need to introduce that sort of competition element into it. Um, because I think then people with children in public schools start to become very, very dissatisfied. Because that's what I think you need need an element of dissatisfaction because right now people are dissatisfied but they don't see another option yeah oh um uh guys I, i'm hearing an echo so just check your mics and stuff yeah can i can i just say there that uh i hear your point but uh the problem with that is you've got this massive brick wall in front of you called uh human rights now you know uh you have a right to education you have a right to to, to healthcare, it sits up there with your right to your, to to safety. You know, so if you take that away from the government, um, yeah, how would you then enable the human right to be fulfilled? Because you know, globally, uh, because of the sovereignty of states, etc., if oh, your human easy. rights are impeded, that's uh, number one. It's the prerogative of uh, your government to actually look out for your human rights. So, how do we solve that? That's easy to solve because there was a ruling in 2013, and I can use the education system. There was a ruling that said government, uh, oh, geez, I need to remember this correctly because I can be corrected. I don't have it in front of me. But there was a mm -hmm. ruling in the constitutional court. Basically, what it said was government has an obligation to ensure that you are educated. What it doesn't say is that government has to deliver that education. So how you okay. get around is vouchers so in the schooling system if the so for example right now and this is the work of nick spall who is a national hero not enough people know about he's a researcher at stellenbosch the government uh on average spends about 1700 rand a month per pupil in the education system that's in the public system so if you were to voucherize that um and, and, and then let the free market uh, dictate uh, who has better quality, etc. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so, so you start to introduce that. You don't completely overhaul the public education system because unions will murder you. But yeah. you start to introduce it into communities and build discontent even more. But not just build discontent, but show them that there's a better option in your school. So if Kara, for example, comes... Uh, I don't know, let me think of Cape Town. 
Carol and, and Advertech comes into a Kailicha and they build schools and there's a voucher system and they're doing all this stuff the government schools don't do and people's children who are going to the voucher and they'll be like, and again, back to that point, that people will talk and be like, oh, wait, my children are not getting that. Why are they getting that there? I want my child to go there. People will be yeah. discontented and they will go to government themselves. Because yeah. once you start taking that away from people and they know it's available, trust me, the ANC and whoever else will bend to that because they know people will vote you out. If you start saying, no, your children don't deserve what my neighbor's children don't get. So government, in a sense, is still fulfilling its obligations, but it's not doing the delivery. Because the issue for me is there's, it's the delivery side of things. It's not necessarily the money. Because, I mean, you can look at, thing, at, at companies like Momentum. Momentum provides um, a, a, a what, what is it called? A, a medical aid or medical insurance for domestic mm -hmm. workers. It's about 300 odd rand a month. Um, I've got a lot of friends whose domestic workers are on those types of plans. And they go into the private sector for their primary health care. Um, mm. I think, yeah. so I think we're not, we're not thinking uniquely enough. I mean, in the United States, in terms of health care, there's a new movement where you have a subscription model of health care for your primary care. Now, I'm not talking about specialist care, but your primary care. So, for example... If you could have that here in South Africa, and let's say your primary care is taken care of in a subscription model, let's say doctors get together and they say, okay, you pay 450 rand a month if you're single, or whatever it is, I don't know how much money you'd make. Someone would have to find a model that works better than what we currently have. You know that you have a specific doctor you go to, and they take care of your primary needs. Um, and you can do that. And I think if you did that, for example, and incentivized, you know, private care, because there's already um, people doing it here in Joburg. There's, I think it's called QualiCare. I'd have to look mm -hmm. up on my phone. There is medical centers called QualiCare. Let me just double check. I think it's called QualiCare, and it's a private, um, it's privately owned. Yes, QualiHealth. And it's privately owned, this young young black female doctor started it and it specifically serves people Elokshin. So for me, it's 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 we we have the capacity in the private sector to do it, but I think we need to slowly find strategic wins away from government. Like yeah, small yeah. things that create discontent, but also show people that there's a solution to your discontent. Because I think that's the issue we have in South Africa. A lot of people are very, very dissatisfied with government. But if you talk to them and say, well, government is terrible, they're going to be like, what's my other option? Mm -hmm. And I think, I think the onus mm -hmm. on us, for those of us who believe um, in the free market, is to find ways in which we, we are there, we disrupt, uh, we create discontent, and we let people do the rest because we know people prefer solutions from the private sector. It's just they don't have resources for it. Yeah, agree. So as a okay. so as a politician, let's say for example you're part of the ZACP, what would you do yeah. to convince <laughs> various people? <laughs> 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 you need to say that. 
<laughs> Zuzo, you need to say that with your camera on. You need, I, need to see, I need to see you say it. It's not green up there yet. Put your camera on. I want to see it. I want to see you say it. <laughs> Fuck you, dude. What else? <laughs> Put your camera on, bro. Put it on. Yeah, it's there on. We go. It's on. Now, yeah, now it's on. Yeah. Now it's on. Yeah. Okay. Now ask okay. the question. What I was yes. trying to say, I was trying to say is, at the, as I say, ZACP, if I was okay. a politician in that part, and I want to... Okay. Um, influence people convince people that free market solutions are the way to go for this country to actually improve what do i do what who, where do i go who do i talk to well, how do i actually instill that uh, that feeling in south africans that look it's in us as the econ- because you say the economy is the people mm. we as mm. the people should take charge and this is the solutions this is the solutions this is the principles that will underlie our solutions, which are free market-based principles. What yeah. is you? What would you say? And what is the next? So essentially, is 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 this the time in which there's a new party that can be on the horizon that can break that breed that type of uh, uh, citizen citizen in South Africans? Look, I, I, if if we're honest, I think it's very very difficult to simply convince from an argument standpoint. Because I think mm. people respond to stuff they see. Because I think the, the arguments are clear. Because, and people can see it. The government does not work. Like, I'm here in Imtat. My mother's retired. My mother still pays rates and taxes. And on top of that, she still has to... The, the, the municipality does not pick up the trash or anything. She has to pay for somebody to go pick up trash and burn it. Herself. Yeah. On top of that, there's water, there's, there's, there's not an insignificant amount of water cuts. So we bought like a 5,000 liter water tank. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm, people, mm-hmm. Have, the next step is to put in a backup solar system. Because if there's cuts to electricity. That's something my parents are actually doing. So, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. people already what? see it. So the, mm-hmm. the, the issue for us is, if we're because we're working at a disadvantage because the problem with the way government is set up and this goes back to when people were negotiating for the country Abu Khrutman, even Omar Diba, when they were negotiating is that power in this country is far too centralized there is not enough decentralization of power this was my issue and 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 I thought that one of the things is I voted for the DA provincially I thought the DA was going to fight the decentralization fight because for me personally i think and and people will might disagree with me i think that's a bigger fight than fights around bee etc because i think once you can start to decentralize power and people can start to see the effects of the market of more accountable local leaders that is going to change people's minds about a lot of other things in terms of... Because here's the thing. People don't realize... A, a lot of people can, can, can sort of see that BEE is not benefiting them and affirmative action. Because affirmative action is a very elite policy. Because I always make... I made this argument to my friends um, on a WhatsApp group. Because they're all middle class, upper class Joe Burgers. They're all professionals. And they, they, uh, <laughs> some of them are very well... Ninjali, they all are. They all are. We know what y'all like. We know what y'all like that yeah. side. So, <laughs> ah, nigga. Argue, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot his name. Unga linge. Unga linge. So, my, my, 
so my argument to them was this is my argument was this you can't get affirmative action if your education system was always poor you can't compete for jobs with white people if you didn't absolutely true if you didn't absolutely go to university true if yeah. you were stunted as a child there are far more important things than be or aa and all of that and i personally that's one of my issues with the da is that they strategically off they shouting they shouting and, and and i hate to say this but i'm like you're shouting at things that white people care about like i do yeah. care about aa but they're more yeah. important things because they're more important things about decentralizing power because yeah, yeah. be aa adversely affects poorer black people because it transfers everything towards the upper class it takes things usually that would have been used for the development of black people who are truly disadvantaged and yeah. it pushes towards elites and so for me that's far more of an important thing than whether when you didn't get a certain job yeah it's tough but like let's yeah. be honest white people are still life employed is tough yeah. life is yeah. tough but white people are still employed for the most part i understand your pain but yeah. we've got bigger fish and we need to sort of prioritize certain things and the first thing is definitely we need to take a lot of the levers of power away so when the the, the da was talking about decentralizing police and decentralizing the trains i got excited as someone who lives in cape town because i was like oh okay people will start to see local government and their police and you can start dealing with the gang issue they'll start seeing the trains and maybe a lot more people will start to get on that and they'll see oh okay no 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 we don't need these people and then the da can start pushing and pushing and pushing for more freedoms and i was like okay and then people and then we'll have more and more people on our side and so if you're a zacb person my thing is we need to take we need to dismantle the way power is in this country that's the fundamental problem we can scream until we blow in the face we can talk about be we can talk about aa as long as power is centralized and levers of power are controlled by whoever wins elections we can have a problem because even if no. the da the da won elections they would still have control of all the levers of power and you know what they say about power power corrupts yeah. and, and absolute we, power corrupts absolutely absolutely and we know yeah. what happened to the da in terms of their stance when they tried to get more power aka more votes they changed and they went away from what they originally were as a liberal party so you had all these convoluted you had all the sophistry convoluted arguments and sophistry from the da members about quite, what yeah. is liberalism really you know those those they started politicking mm. exactly they're like mm. what is liberalism really you can't really just about be individuals if you're a liberal and you're like i bo i think i agree with you on that uh that, that, that you know you need to you need to stick to your principles but you know like you know like you said at the end of the day like we still have a poor country so mm-hmm. we have to uh, like you know those things have to be provided healthcare education especially but and by so, the private sector but by the sure. private sector 
Sure. For someone like, who's I'm, got an incentive to do well in it, let me put it like yeah. that. So yeah. even if it wasn't necessarily the private sector, it can be a you know a mix of public, private, maybe. But yeah, there needs to be some incentive for you to actually excel at this. Unlike what we have with uh, municipalities, you know, if you're the CEO mm. of a hospital right now, of a public hospital, right? Uh, mm. Your hospital does bad, which a lot of them does uh, do. There's no consequences. Mm. Uh, your hospital does well, which some of them do. There's no reward yeah. either, you know. So, yeah, but also literally, like, yeah, but, <laughs> you're just there. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Koki. But I was also like, you know, talking to Cindy's point is that power needs to be decentralized. Is that if you were to actually have power decentralized, you'd actually have mm. more public hospitals actually doing well. Because you'd have a CEO which is his only incentive is to actually have his hospitals doing well and getting more budgets. And so he's obviously incentivized to actually uh, run his hospital much more better. But because hospitals, public, the public system is so centralized in the sense that it's all Zulim Kiza that does the talking and everyone must just say, uh, must just ask how high should I jump? That's the issue. That's, uh, that's the problem. And that's why we see such a breakdown in the public health system because it's so centralized. And yeah. hence why, you know, hence why we saw, we, uh, Cindy was like, you need to start, you know, speaking to the centralization, decentralization of many government systems. Mm. Uh, also like water, like imagine, like things like that are centralized and they're not allowed, and the private, market, private sector is not allowed to compete in that. Energy, you know, like, you know, those type of things like IPPs could also be brought in so that, and the things that I'm not saying IPPs, we're not saying that IPPs must replace OSCOM, but they must mm. be able to provide to a specific market, a specific region. So like if we had an ESCOM only in Imtata that only provides for that region, then after mm. that, it'll be much more easier if we just have so many people in the market there and they have a market share of the uh, in, in the in the industry. And so you wouldn't have the problems that we that's the thing. ESCOM is so centralized, it's a centralized system which yeah. everyone de depends on ESCOM to have to have uh, electricity, and it's bound to fail. It's bound to fail because you do not have because even though uh, not only is centralization so oh. inefficient, it's how many times are you gonna like how many people you're gonna have to also look at the population growth rate just oh. to see just to project and what does that have to do with the company? You know what I mean? Like, when do you, unless you like, only governments think of those things. Now, ESCOM also has to think, shit, in 10 years, the population is going to double or triple. We need to do this and this and that. You see, those are the type of things that make it so inefficient because now our budgets are, now, now the budget is different to what a normal company would have to, to budget for. But also, like, way back, yeah, I was going to say for the DA, the problem is that also with the DA is that its policies are so textbook. It's still textbook. Even to this day, I still look at it and I'm like, dog, you cannot go to a to a voting base and be like and 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 give them that whole policy document and be like, this is one, two, three, this is what I would do. We need to start thinking, you know, what is actually uh, the values and principles. Think um start politicking on those bases. What are the values and principles? And then after the policies will come into play. You know what I mean? So like freedom in the sense that you are in charge of your own life and as a municipality or as a as a as an area in a municipality, you guys are in charge of the basic necessities like water and stuff like that. Those are the things you need to start thinking of rather than 
making policies from a national point of view and thinking that you're just going to replace the, the same government that's giving us problems. You see what I mean? So they're essentially creating a trap for themselves. That's what I feel like. Yeah, and I that's the perfect yeah. example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Actually, I just wanted to say, uh, maybe, yeah, can you go ahead first. No, I'm just going to say that people like yeah, Gwen, yeah, who is the policy head for the DA right now, it's like, that's the problem with people like her. Like, they don't really consider the South African context. Like, you know, like, our problems are very different from other uh, problems in other uh, parts of the world. And people like mm -hmm. Gwen don't really understand that, you know, South Africa is a very different country. Conservative. It's exactly. Quite very like conservative. You have no. to pitch your policies in a very different way, and you have to your policy making has to be very different. I think South Africa is not is not a welfare country. I, I, I just don't think I, I just don't see it. Like if you look at mm -hmm. like you know old Corsa, uh, Zulu old men, like you know talk to them, and you will see that South yeah. Africa is not a welfare country. These people yeah. are against welfare. So, uh, like, you know, things like that. And I think the DA has to be part of that bandwagon. They have to understand the population that has to vote for them ultimately. Oh, okay. oh do you want to go? I was going to add something on to No, 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 you can go. So, so, yeah, you can go, oh, man. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because my, my thing is this. So, specifically around water and electricity. My thing is this. I, I already think water and electricity should be Wait, there's a... I think water and electricity should be privatized. I think you can make, again, because of what's happened in the last 20 years, decimated jobs, you can still have a thing where you say to private companies, look, indigent households get X amount. Because, for example, right now, my mom is a retiree, but she pays, she pays prepaid electricity. So let's say if you're an indigent household, you get X amount of units for your electricity, fine. But everybody else pays a market rate for electricity for water. Um, I think, yeah, and I think if you go over a certain minimum, you pay a market rate. Because yeah. I think people yeah. have to have, again, skin in the game. Because the issue I find a lot of the time when you are, when you are in a conversation or a debate with someone who's in a social justice circle, is they simply talk about rights, but rights come with responsibilities. There's another side to it, and so I think, mm -hmm. I think, I think, I, I think for me, it's not a case of you're trying to push heartlessness, because in, in 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 quite a few instances, there people simply cannot acquire the resources because of the way the the government has destroyed the economy. Mm. However. That doesn't mean that government has to soak up so much of our tax money, has to basically put the, the, the boots on the throat of the middle class, and then has to provide those services. I think the private sector can still do much of that. And with certain conditions for people who are indigent. Because I think there are a lot of very unique solutions to problems in this country which aren't necessarily expensive. So, for example, take the thing with sanitation. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of the research, one of my friends builds housing. It's called, the, the company is called Ubu Housing. It's in Cape Town. It's basically, he's transformed the way you can build a shack. He still uses zinc, but he reinforces it. 
but the structure of the shack is built with sandbags and wood. So what that does is it means if there's a fire that breaks out, your shack doesn't burn down and it's contained in. Mm-hmm. It also means it's bulletproof. And the way that it's designed, it also means in summer it's cool, in winter it's warm. It's a solution in which people who already have materials for zinc can build their shacks a certain way. The Habitat for Humanity has approved his design and some of the ways he's built it. So, you, 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 know, you know what I'm saying? You can get those solutions without saying to government, hey, government, why don't you build X amount of housing, which you can't build fast enough anyway. There's a solution of upgrading shack. There's also the solution now with toilets. So instead of building an expensive sanitation system, there's toilet mm-hmm. systems which literally take your poop, it breaks it down and it turns it into methane, which you can use as gas for cooking. You can also put in your food leftovers in it. So if you're somebody who's struggling resource-wise and money-wise, um, I think what you have is that you can have these kind of innovative solutions. You don't have to have a one-size-fits-all solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that's the problem with having government. Because my friend is a private sector player, and he wants to be able to do that. And it's frustrated, by the way, because of some of the, 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 the issues you have around with government always centrally planning everything. Because my thing is, what my friend can do, you can build those houses and install those toilets in about, you can install about 100 of them if you have enough manpower in a week, easily. It's a quick turnover. Mm-hmm. You can have a toilet. You can have energy. You can have, so you can have gas for cooking. You can have the, the house that's better. If you have an upgraded housing, you can have cooking for gas. You can explore certain other solutions for, uh, for, your, um, for, your, for your energy solutions in terms of what you can do. But in terms of, of, of having the government as central planners, I think that is kind of where we made the mistake. I think we can sort of decentralize that as well. So that I think that's a good example for it. So uh, I want to know, like, from you, like, you know, we know what the government has done. Okay, oh, like, no, he's... Yeah, and, uh, he's going to come uh, shortly. Sindil is going to be arrived. But you can make your, your point. Uh, yeah. yeah okay. I was well, going to ask question, like, you know, we, we know what the government has done. <clears throat> okay, put his back. So we know what he's the government back. has done. And, uh, like, you know, we, basically they are bad at providing all of these services. Mm. So I, as much as, like, you know, you have a lot of good ideas, but, like, you know, what are the chances, actually, of, uh, of any of them being implemented? Because the government basically is into enrichment for people who, like, you know, are associated with them. They don't really care about Like, you know, they talk about mm. education and health, but they don't really care about them. Mm. Um. Oh, I, I mean, it's 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 very very tricky. Um. Oh, I, I think it also depends regionally. In terms of the government, it depends regionally, because I think what we saw, for example, in Gauteng, with how the DA was able to win municipalities in Gauteng. 
So if you in places that are highly urbanized, you've got more of a chance of pushing that through. Provinces which are more rural, ooh, you might you might struggle a little bit more. Because I think we, we we do need to take into account some of the regional differences in this country. And again, that goes back to the point of central planning, because there are regional differences. And there are differences even within regions between people who live in an urban area and people who live in a rural area. So I think you can get an area. So I think one of the things I think that can help us is if the, if the private sector um, or private individuals or private charities pour money into pilots. So you pilot certain things in communities and you, you create that level of discontent. And you create that and say, look, there is an alternative. So, for example, I look at this thing of housing and you look at, instead of saying government should build RDP housing at XY cost, people already have a way of procuring, you know, zinc and all of that stuff. So if you have somebody who's like my friend, who's found a way to build upgraded housing by using pretty much the exact same materials and sand you can easily get and sew the handbags in. But if you can get that and you can build and you can show that it's a better performing house, because once people see things um, with their own eyes and they get to experience it, it gets out into the community. People start talking. People start saying, hey, I want that. Why don't we get it? So I think, yeah. I think one of the strategies we can do as private individuals is appeal to the private sector and to private charity in terms of the long term is to say, look, let's draw up some pilot programs that can mimic what the free market can do. And let's inject that into communities and give an alternative so that communities can get to experience that and have that level of discontent and go, hey, no, no, wait, why is government doing this mm -hmm. when this can happen and it can happen this way? And we can go into communities and say, no, if you vote for us, if you're a party or if you're somebody who just believes in the free market, you can simply say, hey, this is what happens when there's a free market. Mm. So I think yeah. I think it's definitely an ideological and a principled one, but it's also yeah. a case of, hey, this is what happens. I can show you and I can point to something. Okay. Well, no, no, that's... We're hearing a lot of we're hearing a lot of wind from your side in Zuzo. It's just raining out here, man. Oh, oh it's raining. That's why. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, do you mind just sorry, guys, turning sorry, your sorry, mic yes, down guys. a little bit then? So it doesn't... Okay. No, I, I think mm -hmm. you, make your, you make your points well. But at the end of the day, like, you know, someone has to pay for these things. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, what, what, what's the, like, the trade-off for a taxpayer? Like, you know, what's, what's the benefit? In, in terms of what? Because my, my argument is this. My argument is that um, we need more of the private sector doing stuff. Yeah. In terms of... So my thing is there should be less of a burden on the taxpayer because these things are all in a dynamic relationship to each other in the system. Because uh, as, as anybody can point out, 
if more people are employed, the less need you have for things to do with social grants and less government programs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's about trying to yeah. find an entry point within the system that you can build off. So, for example, yeah. that article I wrote for the Free Market Foundation and saying, look, if we can use this to attract investment into labor-intensive industries, yes, initially uh, wages might be lower, but as time goes on and labor markets tighten and more people get on job training, uh, those, those incomes will start to rise. It happened in Taiwan, happened in New Zealand, etc. That will begin to happen. The standards of life will raise. People will have more skin in the game. Because once that can happen, then you have other entry points. You can say, okay, wait, no. People have more money now. Let's change the health system. Let's make sure yeah. that people are paying into the health system no matter who they are. Yes, they might not pay in as much as someone who's earning 2 million rand a year, but they're paying in and they got skin in the game. Because then you, you start to build, because we are a nation state, and part of being part of a nation state is to build cohesion, is to build a sense of, hey, we're in this together, we, we, we're all in this, because nation states are premised on those ideas and narratives, but you need people to pull their weight as best as they can. Because I think that's the problem many taxpayers have, is that you're being asked to pull an excessive amount of weight, but other people are told, you don't have to pull your weight. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. I, and I think that causes resentment. So I think yeah. we're, we're all smart enough to understand that there are certain problems because the job market's been depressed so long, because the economy is not growing. We understand it's tougher for some people to get resources to be able to pay for stuff. We're not heartless. But the longer-term vision has always got to be we want people to stand on their own two feet. That should be the message and the narrative, is that you are able to do things for yourselves, but we need to find certain entry points. And the obvious point is it's the economy, stupid. That is our first <laughs> entry the, yeah. the first entry point is, look, deregulate the labor market, cut taxes, value-added taxes, corporate tax, income tax, cut that, cut down the size of government, cut government salaries, because I don't think this should just be a six-month thing, uh, because a lot of, of, of government is way too bloated, the public wage bill is way too bloated by any measure. Start there, and then we start yeah. to build on top of that. We start to make ourselves an attractive destination, we start to grow the economy, and then we start to deal with other stuff. We start dealing with healthcare, we start dealing with education, with housing, but we've got to have that entry point of the economy and we've got to have that entry point where we start to decentralize power. So for me, the two central pillars of this is the economy, which is first, and then decentralizing political power. In, in the same way, it's, it's, it's what's happening in Switzerland, essentially. Because I think we, we have Switzerland in the sense they've got their Canton system, which is decentralized, but they've also got a, a fairly healthy economy. And I think that's no, the starting point we need to be aiming for. You know what, I agree okay. with you 100%. Mm. My only issue, though, is, you know, we have a socialist government, or let me say we have a socialist political mm. party in power uh, that Indeed. believe in minimum wage, uh, that is mm. pushing for national health insurance, which the four mm. and a half million people who actually pay tax mm. must somehow subsidize the remaining 55 million people, including themselves. 
you know. Mm. Uh, so yeah, at the root of it all, I'd I agree with you fully, but I'd stop <laughs> the decentralizing of power uh, with uh, the actual economy, so that we can actually start there and deal with the you deal with the snake where its mm. uh, where its fangs are, and then that's at the head, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Fully agree. All right. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, we are about to hit the two-hour mark. All right. Okay. Um, so I don't know, uh, Zuzo, how's your mic doing there? Let yeah, me just this is here. Oh yeah, it looks yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. better now. It's better now. It's better now. Oh, okay. It's okay, that's good. That's yeah. good. Okay. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, yeah, that so, was yeah, that was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I was just saying that yeah, we hit the we about hit the two hour mark. So let's conclude the show. Yeah. Yeah. An interesting discussion that Cindy put forth, and I think that he should continue it next week. Um, if it's possible the week after, so he can just, you know, conclude on his thoughts. But nonetheless, this was a very interesting conversation. And it seems as though um, politically, we all have the same ideals. Maybe in, in terms of execution, maybe it's different. But definitely, we need to see... Anyways, in more than one uh, methods. I just want to ask if uh, Cindy, can you tell us where we can catch you, man? Like where we can people follow you, where they can uh, get more views, and uh, where can they where can they next see you? Maybe you're gonna do a podcast, the Free Market Foundation, since you say mm-hmm. right forever. You, oh, dude, you can find me on these social media streets. I'm off Twitter for now because, uh, yeah. You can find me on Facebook. I'm always ranting about something. I'm in the mall. I'm somewhere. I always got something that pops in my head. I rant about. I got a million problems with the world. And the just one of You got 99 problems. I do. But mine is a million. Those are the so you can find me on these streets, Cindy Levabaza. I don't have any fancy names. It's my, it's my, go, it's my God-given name. It's my government name. You find me there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, Mpiake, are you still a very chief, or are you smoking yeah, the shit out of that weed? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> my Facebook account has been banned for some reason. I don't know why. But, yeah, uh, we need to go on a campaign. Yeah, we but... Need a campaign uh, to get you out of Facebook jail. What happened? Who, who snitched on you? On Twitter, you can find me on touring underscore 1991 just because I love Alan touring and, you know, I'm born in 1991. Mm-hmm. So touring underscore 1991 and, uh, yeah, just find my writing on Daily Friend and reports and, yeah, that's it. Okay. Uh, Koketo, where can they find you, man? Uh, yeah. you? <laughs> I'm everywhere. Uh, Koketo Resani is my name. So Koketo Resani is my handle everywhere. And uh, yeah, in closing, I'd, I'll do what I always do. Uh, our former president, Jacob, is trending again. This time around, you've got social media uh, literally picking two teams. <laughs> Those who are... Saying we miss Ubaba and uh, Ubaba's regime is the one that actually gave us prosperity that we are currently using to go through this. 
Then you have the other <laughs> half, uh, which includes me. I mean, just this morning alone, uh, I read a tweet by someone saying it's Jacob Zuma's vision, which uh, created BRICS. He partnered up with the world's most powerful nations uh, to create BRICS. And now I have to explain to someone on Twitter that BRICS was actually BRIC and South Africa was invited after its founding. <laughs> So there's a lot of ignorance out there on social media. Uh, my uh, my purpose on there is to uh, you know shine facts a light only. on ignorance. Facts, facts only. Facts only. <laughs> that's it. That's a get out. That's a get out of here. Niggas saying that South Africa created bricks. <laughs> that's different. <laughs> we forgot to do it. But nonetheless, you guys know there's so many get out years that it's impossible to tell to tell you all of them. But uh, yeah, man, uh, Dumo. So, uh, tell everyone that really can catch us, man. Mm, yeah. So, okay. Twitter, it's at manpatreon.co.za. Then Facebook, you just type manpatreon, you'll find it there. And if you want to follow my personal Twitter, it's at dumodenga. And yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, guys, you can follow uh, me at Akonakati on Twitter, Nzuzokati uh, on Facebook. Uh, those are not. The, the, yeah, Akona is the middle name, so don't get it twisted. Um, but, nonetheless, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, guys, uh, we're grateful and, and we, uh, we thank you for your for listening to us, for following us, for engaging with us. Thank you for everyone for engaging with us, especially on Facebook. You know, the likes, I see a lot of people also liking us and following us on Facebook. We really appreciate it. We really appreciate Shout out to Dumo for the memes, man. The memes are quite funny this week. <laughs> yeah, those releases are quite funny. Those published, yeah. Um, but yeah, man, just keep on uh, fighting the good fights. Uh, Cindy, thank you for coming on, my, my brother. Um, tell everyone in the title. Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely, man. Keep on, keep on shooting. Yeah, man. You know, <laughs> after, keep on shooting on people. Yeah. That was weird. Amanda. That was weird. Amanda. <laughs> Amandala. Amandala. <laughs> you mean yeah, Amanda? Yeah, I think he means I'm going to make a terrible joke. I didn't. I was going to make a terrible joke. Yeah, but anyway, thanks for, thanks for joining us, everyone. And uh, all the listeners, thank you for listening. And yeah, man, have a great week. We'll see you next week, guys. Cheers, everyone. Cheers, cheers. Cheers, Bye. cheers.